Welcome to After the Deluge, I'm Justin Cox. Today, we kick off a series about Against Me, starting with their EP, Crime as Forgiven By, which was released on March 1st, 2001. It was recorded at Goldstone Studios in Gainesville, produced by Rob McGregor, and released on Planet X Records. Crime and the acoustic EP they released later that year would set the stage for their debut record, Reinventing Axl Rose, in 2002. And today, we're talking to the one and only Frank Turner. Circa 2007, I had a one-year subscription to Alternative Press Magazine, and on the whole, those 12 issues made me realize how much I fucking hated whatever was happening in, like, punk-adjacent emo music at the time. But I paid for it, and so I combed through all of them, and I intimately remember one specific article from that 12-month stretch. The headline was, Quiet is the New Loud, and it fleshed out my limited understanding of folk punk and introduced a budding crop of artists in that tradition. Nothing groundbreaking here, but I had no vocabulary for any of it, and so it was. I really took to this article, and I remember like telling a bunch of friends about it. And the featured artists were Paul Baraboo, AJJ, and Frank Turner. I got into all three, but I especially took to Frank, who was about to release the record Love, Ire, and Song. I remember exactly where I was sitting in Mishka's Cafe in Davis, California, when I first heard the ballad of me and my friends on his MySpace page, which also had the songs Photosynthesis, Long Live the Queen, and I Knew Proofrock Before He Was Famous. Just an immaculate four-song introduction, and also maybe the high watermark for online music discovery, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Because this is a conversation about a band and a time and feelings and memories, Frank and I don't sweep track by track through the crime EP. And that'll be true on most episodes of this show. And really, this episode is only a crime as forgiven by episode in so much as it's sort of where the band really, really starts. And not only for all of us, but specifically for Frank, who tells a pretty cool story about his introduction via that EP. If you're new here, this podcast is called After the Deluge, and we're in our third season. We are going to go album by album through the Against Me discography with a new guest on each episode. Subscribe to After the Deluge on your podcast app and go find the show on YouTube and subscribe there if you want video clips from these interviews. I'm Justin Cox and you can find me on social media under the handle Routine Layup. As I kick this thing over to my conversation with Frank Turner, we're going to listen to a bit of the song Walking is Still Honest, which to me is the moment that this release and this band kind of gets its full grip on you. It's when it becomes more than music for me in a way. At exactly the one minute mark of this song, we get a 59 word, 32 second long chorus. Just full on diaristic sentences yelled over guitar chords, not a single phrase repeated in the whole paragraph. It's visceral and perfect, messy and melodic, and far from the last time that we will hear Laura Jane Grace land this specific brand of trick. It's fucking great. And so is this conversation with Frank Turner. Let's go. Can anybody tell me why God won't say to me why Jesus never got on me to wipe my fucking sins? Why death is easier than living? You can be almost anything when you're on your fucking knees. Not today. Not my son. Not my family. catching you between what's the tour called what's this sort of mega endless oh, tour called well so 
basically many years ago um uh we made a bunch of uh tour specific merchandise that we didn't sell through at the end of the tour which was kind of a problem so i slightly sarcastically started refer saying well next time we'll just call it the never-ending tour of everywhere and then you can use that kind of whatever it was posters or t-shirts forever and it's kind of stuck um yeah. i've kind of gone with it harder than usual in the last couple of years but yes the never-ending tour of everywhere we're we're on a pit stop at the moment yes and the pit stop so this is <laughs> amazing and impressive the pit stop is uh record a record is that what you've been doing yeah i've been making a record i mean i'm speaking to you from my studio right now um i'm fortunate enough to um in the pandemic i moved I moved out of the big city, um, and one of the nice things about moving to the countryside is I can afford to have a studio down my garden. Um, it is uh, small and perfectly formed, as you can see. Uh, but we have done, we're doing backing vocals over the next few days, but otherwise we're done um, uh, for the next album. Um, people should calm down because that doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's coming out immediately soon. It'll be kind of spring next year, but I'm excited about it. That's cool. And so you carve out that time and you have the you have like a good sense when you go into the studio to spend two weeks or whatever that you're going to be able to do it. You yeah, I, there are bands. It took me a year, years to figure out, like when you read sort of stories about bands spending six months in the studio, I was always like doing what? <laughs> like, um, Because I've always been I mean, initially out of necessity, like I've always arrived at the studio with everything ready to go. And it's just a kind of it's a kind of documentation thing. And it took me years to realize that bands were actually kind of writing in the studio and working out arrangements in the studio. And it was like, oh, wow, no, what a waste yeah. of time and money. <laughs> um, yeah, that, and that's probably not incidental to like this conversation we're having with you and against me. Oh, sure. you're, you're the type of people writing songs, you know, you're songwriters. And so you're... Totally. Kind of, yeah. But even, I mean, and we'll, we will get further into this, but like, you know, for me, like this record that we've just made, we've probably spent about two weeks total making it. We've been rehearsing it for six months. You know, like so I mean, and I guess some bands do that whilst also paying studio rental, which seems idiotic to me. That, that <laughs> but does. um but yeah, so so you know, we 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 were in good shape when we started. So we're kind of talking I'll give you a little bit of my background with this is like sure. I I I don't need to say this too much because otherwise I'm going to say it on every fucking episode of this podcast, but grew up listening to some punk music and then with my family's like singer songwriter music. And then this thing happened in like the 2000s where in in whatever way, big or small, in a way that just fully caught my attention, these two things found a like they crossed cool. paths in a way that was that yeah. happened definitely with against me. And then I pulled it up just because I want to mention it. I looked it up online, but some I had one year where I was subscribed to Alternative Press magazine and there was it was June 2008. Quiet is the new loud. I don't know if you remember stuff like this or if they even interviewed people, but it just was uh Paul Baraboo, Frank Turner, Andrew Jackson Jihad, now AJJ. And it was about this like idea of kind of folk punk huh. music. And I was like, I literally wrote down all three things because I was like, <laughs> hmm. like, and that magazine, I'll be honest, like it was a lot of like, think 2008, it was a lot of like uh, emo, emo music doing like emo music becoming mall music or something. You yeah, know? totally. Diagonal haircuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is not, which was not, not my jam. It's diagonal haircuts. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean by that. Exactly. Um, exactly. There was a, you know, I always think this is not really relevant to this, but there's a fantastic line in uh, Propagandi song where he's, he's the um, back to the motor league where he's just kind of dissing kind of mainstream quote-unquote punk bands and his line is rounding off the jagged edges and i feel like there was a real process because i mean this 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 isn't really relevant to what we're talking about but it's on my mind but like you know 
I got into emo before My Chemical Romance, and it was like there wasn't really a clear defining line between emo and screamo, and emo was a kind of this kind of pretty weird left field discordant noisy yeah. type of music and then it sort of slowly got kind of sanded down into something that could be on the cover of ap i suppose but like um that was it i mean and of course in saying any of this i sound like a kind of uh typically sort of male uh gatekeepy uh dickhead basically because i probably am being that um nevertheless you know that was a that was a process of that period of time but i mean well to try and bring this around something relevant to what we're trying to talk about like one of the things i always loved right from the word go with against me for me is that they didn't seem to fit that particular model of what of what was happening to punk rock more broadly Four sins past sainthood It's like I'm dying to forget Our sleepless nights lying perfectly Alone and still I can drink till victory I'll drink to the mighty Drink until I die Or at least until the sunrise When honesty as popular as a plague Comes to remind me The dead's winning the race with me going nowhere right down the street a prostitute is selling the closest thing to love that this country has to offer yeah all right so beautiful that that feels that way to me too and yeah what i thought i think because in my mind i associate y- your music so much <laughs> i don't think i really like grasped that like what against me was doing started at like 2000 and campfire yeah. punk rock comes out in like 06 so by the time you're making yeah, totally. the full things like sure. you're you're basically making love iron song at a, when new wave is happening almost right yeah yeah oh definitely they, they um as a band feel like they're kind of like uh and maybe a generation is too strong a word, but like a, a couple of like high school years above me, you know what I mean? Does, I, I mean, they truly are. So, um, but I mean, so my experience of it, like in in two thousand, I want to say, um, when I uh, I would I sort of just kind of properly moved to London. Um, I was kind of staying uh, in kind of uh, kind of dos houses and squats and that kind of thing, and just sort of like trying to be a full time punk rock person and go mm-hmm. to shows all the time, playing bands and you know the usual kind of thing, and kind of working crappy sales jobs during the day. And I remember being at a house party, and uh, a friend of mine gave me a cassette that had "Crime as Forgiven by" on it, um, uh, as if it was drugs. Is the thing I always remember. <laughs> like he slightly palmed it off to me. God, do you know what I mean? And he was like, this is going to change your world. And it's funny that what you say about them kind of against me being an instance of bringing the kind of singer-songwriter tradition and punk rock together, because I think that you're right, but that wasn't quite the appeal for me personally, because the whole thing for me was that I, I grew up, my parents don't really believe in modern music, so I was self-educated. I was an autodidact in music, and that meant that I knew everything about metal and then punk and then grunge and then hardcore. Um, and didn't know anything at all. I mean, I knew I yeah. knew absolutely everything. I, I knew the song that Bob Dylan wrote propaganda songs by the Minutemen before I'd ever heard a song by Bob Dylan. Do you know what I mean? Whoa. Like Whoa. I, I knew everything, but I could tell could have told you everything about the Chromags before I'd heard a single song by Johnny Cash or, or indeed the Beatles for that matter. Um yeah. so it was so you know, but I, I, I the one kind of like wild card. Uh, was that my older sister got me into stuff like the Levelers? I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're a kind of no. British folk band from the early '90s, kind of in the vein of like the Pogues and stuff like that. Okay. 
Um, and then there was also um, I, I was I was and indeed still am a huge Count and Crows fan. So there was a bit of kind of songwriteriness right. in my taste in in very sparing amounts. But so yeah, my friend gave me this record and was like, "This is gonna fuck you up, man." Um, and uh, do you and think real quick? Do you think he was giving that to many people saying this is gonna fuck you up, or do you think he saw like a certain yeah. proclivity in you that was like, "Frank, this is gonna fuck you up"? Uh, I think there was a fair few people he was giving it to, okay. but I think he, he knew that it would land with me especially i guess yeah. um and i remember i was completely obsessed by crime is forgiven by and then i uh, i didn't i don't think i got around to those acoustic ones and my first kind of pass if you like reinventing sort of came along um i do remember kind of like i mean if we're now having this conversation about my overall relationship with against me i i felt like at the time i felt like reinventing had got a bit more full band than i wanted it to be do you know what i mean <laughs> like crime was so stripped back just kind of like toy drums or something and 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 like acoustic guitar or clean electric guitar or whatever it was and shouting um just seemed to be the vibe and there was kind of like suddenly there was like there was like two guitars and a bass player and all this kind of thing and i remember in again you know in a slightly kind of when you're a teenager trying to define yourself by sort of not enjoying things that other people are enjoying being a bit too cool uh in places but I mean, I mean, fucking whatever. Who cares, man? Like we make we make fun of fun of people for being gatekeepers and hipsters and all this stuff. And I think that's yeah. a good like check and balance. But it's cool to like a thing before people know about it. Oh yeah, you know. Well, it's I might fun. say I do think I think I think as long as you understand it in the context of, as I say, like it being a part of adolescent self definition, which it definitely was for me. If you see what yeah, I mean, yeah. it was just you know you define who you are by kind of drawing lines in the sand or by pushing up against other lines and, and and all that kind of thing i think it's a legitimate thing for kind of people in their teens and 20s to do 40s less so um <laughs> uh, but anyway so like so um but so yeah so i i was completely obsessed with crime i was kind of and then i remember i saw them play at south by southwest i think in about 2005 probably or four possibly even and um and again it was just it was kind of like it felt like it was kind of like a a a street punk show rather than a folk punk show and i remember sort of not being that stoked about it and then so this is where i get full fat contrarian about everything is that um actually i kind of fell back in love with them as a band on new wave that was the record that kind of brought me back around to them as a band and i'm aware of course of the entire kind of history one might even say folklore of of against me uh in that era and the whole thing of the we're never going home and and arguments about label structure and all that kind of thing which even at the time as a kid who was reasonably tuned into that argument struck me as pretty over the top in that particular instance i love that i you know how delightful it is for me to hear from you who makes campfire punk rock and goes on to make bands make make big big band albums that can be played loudly is that you got mad when reinvent axel rose had a full band of bass players yeah yeah totally well, on it. <laughs> i loved it yeah. i love it but you know just i i guess i get in some ways i still slightly took my eye off the ball with against me if you if you know what i mean by that like yeah. um i wasn't sort of fully up to speed and then i just remember kind of like there was a big kerfuffle around new wave kind of you know they signed a big deal I mean, I mean that in the positive sense. Like there was a buzz. There was a lot of people talking about them yeah. all of a sudden. It was like, oh, I know that band. Yeah, I know that band. And I kind of went and sat down and listened to it again and just kind of went, oh, fuck, this is like amazing. I mean, I do think so. 
with the caveat that like if we could direct all of the energy that people have expended on trying to define punk rock towards something like curing cancer the world would be in a better place nevertheless <laughs> if you have to try and define punk rock to me it's the line from the song new wave where he says we can be the bands that we want to hear it's like there you go that's it job done everyone go home we can be the bands we want to Like, it's just, it's, you know, and, and it's like, I just, that song still makes me want to, like, kind of fucking jump through doors yeah. and, mean, and, like, punch through walls and stuff. And, um, and I, and I fucking love that record. And, and it, I think at that point, I kind of went back and reinvested in uh, reinventing a bit more and, um, uh, you know, the things that I'd slightly overlooked in the interim. Yeah. You said something a little bit earlier about, like, them being, like, a, a couple grades ahead of you in school or whatever. Sure. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah. And you also said something about um, some of the sort of kerfuffle being striking you even as a little bit over the top in the time. And with yeah. that band, I think it was about as heavily charged as it could possibly be. Does it... Totally. You did a thing that was, all right, I played in... I don't know what, what kind of music you call Million Dead. Is that Screamo or... or Hardcore uh, I mean, adjacent or something uh, yeah yeah i mean and, people call this post hardcore at the time and we got annoyed about the word post but well let's run with that now <laughs> okay and so you so you swing like like you make this frank turner record that's a full this is a guy with a guitar now right that's a that's a change yeah, sure. thing you're doing and it is i mean sorry say a couple a couple years go by and it's only two three years between then and when you're making like sleep is for the week and love iron songs and the and these like you seem like the thing that took against me like 10 years of misery and pain. <laughs> you just did a yeah. version of that then maybe a little bit less unburdened by like, I'm a, I'm a full on like street punk anarchist and stuff, yeah. but I don't well, know. I Do you feel like maybe they, you followed a, a, a wave? They, I don't know. Possibly. I mean, I would say that like what I would say, and I might be kidding myself about this, but in terms of uh, against me's, impact on an influence on me as a musician uh i think that came a little later like uh you know i started really sort of dialing into laura as a songwriter around the kind of and, and thinking about it in a and I, I loved crime and it was sort of in the background but when i sort of started first doing solo stuff i wasn't really thinking about that record all that much to be honest when i first started doing solo stuff i wanted i was thinking about neil young to the exclusion of almost everything else and ended up doing kind of a louder, more aggressive version of that because I don't know how to, didn't know how to play guitar right. on thing quietly at the time. But like, I wasn't trying to be folk punk in 2005. I was just trying to be Neil Young. <laughs> it just didn't go very well. <laughs> I, I, I've since developed my relationship with folk punk in, in certain ways, but I know that like when I wrote down those names yeah. from that article, the thing I think I, because I think in theory, I I want these two things together, you know, like these sure. two things feel like my like musical identities or things that have grabbed me the most. But it's like, I, I would think like, why does it have to sound? Why do you have to try to sound like you sing annoyingly? Why is this part yeah, of this identity? And, yeah. and Frank Turner didn't seal that way to me. And believe me, I love AJJ. I came around to it. But oh, at the I mean, moment, yeah. I was like, at the mo at the very first time, I was like, oh, I'm going to go back to that Frank Turner MySpace page and listen to those four, <laughs> then, to those I mean, four songs again. Thank you. I mean, I will say, hilariously enough, one of the things that I adore about AJJ, who are genuinely one of my all-time favorite bands, is that I feel like, actually, Sean is the punk rock Neil Young. Do you know what I mean? Both yeah. in terms of his his musical and lyrical vision, but also his voice is pretty similar to Neil Young's voice in a roundabout yeah. way. 
in a way that mine never was. But so, so I mean, I guess, uh, so yeah, I, I wasn't trying to be folk punk necessarily. I was trying to be kind of singer songwriter slash country almost in my early mm-hmm. incarnation. But it's just that I didn't really have any musical education outside of punk rock. So it sort of came out how it came out. That's obviously kind of changed and developed over time. And I actually had a really fun thing on the record that I just finished where there's a song in it where I'm like, this is a self-consciously folk punk song. And it's the first one I've ever done where I'd actually allow that to be the case nice. whilst I'm writing the fucking thing. Um, but I think against me, the other thing that they did and is that they they were much more engaged in the kind of, yeah, anarcho-crust, peace punk kind of thing um when they started out than than i ever was or at least when they started out against me i mean i spent a fair amount of time kind of hanging around kind of like black block and squatting and stuff like that when i was younger and when i was listening to crime as forgiven by but you know i'm not off the top of my head sure of how old um they were when like reinventing came out but by the time i was doing my early solo stuff i was in my kind of i was the mid to late 20s do you know what i mean so like right. yeah. um you know, in many ways, it, like um, demographically or, or like age wise, the comparison would be between reinventing and the stuff I was doing in Million Dead, which was a bit more self-consciously anarchist in its way. Um, okay. My early sort of stuff was kind of uh, philosophically governed by a lot of cynicism, actually. Do you know what I mean? I was in the middle of being fucked off about everything. Um, but, you know, so the the whole debate about against me and about the fact that, you know, they had their tires slashed and people showing up at shows and turning their back. And it was kind of like what happened to Jawbreaker on steroids and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And as I say, at the time, there was part of me was like, oh, fucking really? Like, particularly when people getting that worked up about signing to a fat wreck or whatever. And it was just That's crazy. Like, yeah. It's like, you know, there's more world out there. You know <laughs> what I mean? It seems so parochial to me, I guess. And I feel like Laura said this in her book like there was slightly a degree to which they had danced with the devil like they did write that fucking song saying that they weren't going to play proper venues and whatever and, and sort of made a documentary about it like there's certain stuff that is yeah their own, do you know, you know what i mean so they they yeah. slightly dug a hole and then fell into it but fuck me i mean like you know who hasn't fucked up do you know what i mean and one of the things about the what I do for a living and have been fortunate enough to do for a living for a long time and, th- and them as well is that you you fuck up in public do you know what I mean and like yeah, yeah. and now people that the internet never forgets and all the rest of it and it's, <laughs> it's like you know I look back I did an awful lot of growing up in the public eye and this no one has no one else has to give a fuck about any of this but just on a perfect on a personal level it's just like ah you know uh, there are so many things I would now handle with grace and 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 intelligence and all the rest of it that I didn't at the time, and it's because you're fucking twenty seven or something, and then yeah. the entire world's asking you questions. Uh, and indeed, I think in both of our cases, social media's just been invented. You know what I mean? So I do think there's a major thing for against me and to a lesser extent for me about if you look at when social media kind of became a thing. I think that there are. Um, you talked about the MySpace page thing. I mean, you know, that was the the dawn of all of that kind of thing. And I think that um, that's not unimportant to the conversation is that Against Me sort of became a band and became a phenomenon, became successful and then became at various points regarded as as um, traitors or whatever. All of this was completely um, uh, intensified by this brand new form of technology, social media. Yeah, you know, it was back when something happened on Twitter, and people were like, "Wow, what's happened on Twitter?" Whereas now he goes, "Something's happened on Twitter," and everyone goes, "Honestly, who fucking cares?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least that's my experience of it. 
you know, um, people took it all much more seriously back then. I think you're, yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think your experience, you could tell me if, if, if I'm putting this wrong, but like their experience was that documentary and songs that mention it and, and reinventing Axl Rose has two songs with anarchy, the word anarchy in it and all, all yeah. of in the, in their titles, all of this, you, I feel like you're talking about, you're speaking about politics and personal experience and everything like that, but you're almost internally scrutinizing the nuance of like all sides and how much of a trap it is to try like there's no there's no correct oh, yeah. answer right there's yeah, no appropriate absolutely. amount of success to have or whatever i mean yeah i would i would say at this juncture that like i've never been i hope i've never been uh rash enough to kind of to be normative in in my it would be overly normative in politics i'm realizing as i said that true that's just flat out untrue i definitely have been at certain points but like <laughs> You know, I don't regard myself as confident enough to really tell anybody else what to do or how to live and all the rest of it. And I don't mean to cast aspersions on anybody else by saying that, because, um, you know, for example, I'm, I, I know Billy Bragg and he he is he is often normative in his political statements and he is smart enough to be that and good and all power to him and all the rest. But like it's, it's something that has always on some level made me slightly uncomfortable. And as I sort of mentioned, like my kind of stridently kind of banging the table and telling people what to think phase was more million dead. And by the time I started, you know, Love Iron Song, the song is a song about being completely disillusioned with punk rock as a concept and with anarchist politics as a yep. concept. Well, it was bad enough, the feeling and the first time it hit when you realized your parents had let the world all go to shit and that the values and ideals for which many had fought and died had been killed off in the committees and left to die by the wayside but it was worse when we turned to the kids on the left and got let down again by some poor excuse for protest yeah by idiot fucking hippies in 50 different factions who were locked inside some kind of 60s battle reenactment and I hung up my banner in disgust and I head for the door Oh but once we were young and we There has definitely been moments in my career where I've sort of been slightly bemused with the, with the joy with which kind of card carrying anarchists have sung along with that song. And it's not that I'm having a go at them in any way, but it's just a bit like, uh, yeah, this seems kind of weird. <laughs> like, listen, listen, motherfucker. Um, uh, you know, I guess what I would say, the last chorus of that song has always been dripping with sarcasm to me. And I realized after many years on of touring it that it isn't sarcastic to some other people. And, I, and in many ways, maybe that's awesome. Maybe that's beautiful, actually. But it's just quite weird. It's weird for me. Um, but yeah, so I mean, against me did that. But I mean, I, I think that they... You know, they they successfully. So another thing, you know, the big thing around New Wave is that they had signed with a major label, having spent however long saying they weren't going to sign to a major label. I didn't spend time saying that, but I I remember when I I did a license deal to a major label in 2012, and like basically no one really noticed. Um, <laughs> I which I, I remember being kind of like braced for the yeah. inevitable backlash, and I had all my kind of like rhetoric kind of lined up for the fucking nah, 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 you were doing this. And like no one really cared. <laughs> it Did was you, just like oh. I, the last the last guest I had on was Dan Ozzy who wrote Sellout and Which I finished reading just the other day. Did you? Cool. Yeah. He's Dan's a beautiful guy. He's a lovely, lovely man. Lovely guy, lovely book. And I mean, I think that's a little bit sort of the, the thing of the book is that this this idea of this being some f fundamental thing. Kind of, I mean, against me is the last chapter in that book. It doesn't mean anyone ever, right. no one ever scrutinized sell, the idea of selling out or compromising yourself after that. But the whole landscape changed. I think you're a different 
man to person too, but that's, yeah, that's fascinating that that can. Yeah, I mean, right, totally. But I mean, I think that, and I would I, I think I was, I was thinking of Dan's book when I was saying that. I mean, I, I feel like by time, like I say, I was less hostage to fortune from previous things that I'd said or whatever, but like it felt, and it's a lot of it has to do with the, the impact of the technology on the music industry and, and all the rest of it. But like by time, I was uh, really licensing to a major label in like 2013. Like that fight was over. Do you know what I mean? It it had been and gone. And and it's like, you know, I feel a bit like it's like we lost, dude, or whatever. <laughs> it's like fucking get on with your life. And it, and and I think that there was a kind of general recognition of that. And like it's funny because I my sort of um, generational thing. I mean, I have a Fugazi poster on the wall behind me, and like um, I I know Ian a little bit, and I always feel guilty when I hang out with him, <laughs> just, <laughs> like, just in general. I, you know, and that's and I should stress that that's not on him in any way. Like he's a perfectly lovely, non-judgmental person, but I just sit there feeling bad about my life choices. Yeah. But um, but again, it was like you know those were conversations. I feel like the conversations about things like major labels were different in 1991 to what they are in 2023. Um, and I think it would be weird to be surprised by that. Uh, but yeah. against me, I feel like, yeah, they caught kind of the last kind of the last blast of that fight in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it'd be funny if new if like they like if like next week like the super bowl comes up and some like spritzer like alcoholic drink or whatever from <laughs> from some company puts new wave on a commercial or something and it gets totally. makes a million well, bucks from it and no yeah yeah totally <laughs> but then i mean it's a funny old th- that, that the advert thing is a good example of it because you know when i was a kid it was like if you were a band you had a song in an advert you were the worst seller of all time and i right. think that nowadays People don't feel like that because I think everyone understands there's no fucking money coming from anywhere else in the music industry these days. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, uh, you know, and there's certainly on a personal level, if I see a band getting song in an advert, there's part of me that thinks good for you. You guys are going to be able to pay your rent for a year. And and that doesn't suck. Do you know what I mean? It means have you ever had a song on an advert? I've not. No. No, I've had I've had my songs on the background of like um, soap operas on British television, which I have mixed feelings about. But fuck it. Like, I mean, you know. It paid my bills. <laughs> Amazing. Um, does so you talked about like by 2012, no one cared. And against me is not just it's not just that major label thing that gets people revolting. Like they get mad when sure. reinventing Axel Rose has a band. They get mad when Fat Records happens. There, there's sort of all this. Right. Did you 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 did you had that in 2012? And I say this as a person who <laughs> I'll just like preload this question, like when you made a thing with an acoustic guitar and then the next one felt a little bit more indifferent and then the next one felt a little more 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 indifferent i'm suddenly the protective person that's like oh fucking frank turner what what this is and and but the thing is so basically were there a bunch of me's out there doing that that needed to find out in retrospect that oh wait i like this but in the moment we're protective (laughs) or something like did you feel anything like that that was a little bit, but I mean, it was tempered by a couple of things. It was tempered by the fact that, like, there is a full band on my first EP. There's this kind of weird sort of, like, fake memory that a lot of people right. have that, like, my first releases were completely solo, and they just weren't. Do you know what I mean? There were solo, arguably more just, in fact, there were more just solo songs on there, but, like, the first track on my first EP has a full band on it. Do you know what I mean? In fact, it starts with a Hammond organ and a drum kit, so, like, yeah, it, it's I- just a bit, like... I, you know, uh, so that was one thing. And then um, uh, also, it's just that basically, like, I was fortunate in my career, and I'm not quite sure how this compares to against me, but in my career, like, everything happened very, very, very gradually for me. Do you know what I mean? There wasn't like, there, I know people in bands who've had the light switch moment where they go in six months from playing to 200 people playing 2,000 people or indeed 20,000 people. 
And I think that that's very hard to navigate and all the rest of it. And for me, it was just like with each passing record, there are a few more people involved. And for a lot of people, a lot of people think that my fourth record is kind of my best record or whatever. Uh, by which point, kind of like those kind of arguments were sort of moot because the Sleeping Souls was an ongoing thing. And it had become clear that there was this sort of pattern of doing some songs full band and some songs solo and all the rest of it and indeed touring in that way. So there was a tiny bit of it, but not much, you know, cool. Uh uh not 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 in a way that ever really bothered me that much about it but yeah i mean against me definitely they my god the yeah the more i think about it they got the shitty end of the stick on all of those things like endlessly do you know what i mean it seems, it seems pretty brutal i think it's it's like it's it's really kind of impossible to fathom like 1999 to new wave or whatever and then just think that there's this whole entire thing that is transgender dysphoria blues and laura jane grace and everything that follows that that's that's many lives that's just a lot of totally but then so th so this uh you see but that's a really good way of putting it because i think one of the things i now understand better as an adult and possibly i mean i was gonna say as a as a songwriter um uh <laughs> which <laughs> you can say that but like as an artist um but i mean it's like you know artists should change and there is this kind of temptation and this is this is common across all genres of music that certain types of people and i've been one of them with certain bands you discover a thing it impacts your life and you want it to be that forever and you don't want it to change you don't want it to grow and like there are certain artists that sort of get a pass on that you know david bowie or radiohead or you know whatever example you want to pull out of that kind of you know what i mean there's kind of certain artists who their their changing nature becomes part of the right the usp whatever you want to call it but like and I think that's that's individual from from listener to listener. But, you know, a lot of people want a thing to stay the same as it was when they found it. And one of the things that on a, on a personal level, which I find quite funny, is there are certain people like, man, you know, I wish you got I wish you go back to, you know, his roots with Love Iron Song. But then there are people who'd be like, I wish you go back to roots with Tape Deck Heart. It's like my yeah, yeah. album. And it's just like, but that's when they came on board. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? So it's just like, and I like to think, and I'm probably kidding myself gigantically, but I've now reached the point I'm making my 10th record and things are going well enough for me to continue with my career and all the rest of it. And I think people have accepted that I am attempting to explore new avenues as I go by. I'm not ACDC, you know what I mean? Or Pennywise or whatever. And I say that with love for both bands. Right. But like, I think that bands should change. Artists, yeah. writers should change. There's something inherently conservative about the idea that they shouldn't. And it's just fucking boring, ultimately. And like, I'm so glad that Against Me is a completely... And Laura as a writer is just completely different to what they were when they start out. Do you know what I mean? I think that's fantastic. That's how it should be. Is there anything more fucking tedious than somebody who repeats themselves over the space of album after album after album? Absolutely you know? with you on that. I think it's in the moment that people are like, I don't want this to change. This is a thing for me. And totally. Well, and yeah. I think, that, you know, if I could go back in time and sort of give the members of Against Me a hug in kind of the early 2000s when they were <laughs> suffering all this kind of thing, one of the things I would say is I think at this juncture that they are pretty kind of legendary. And part of the reason they're legendary is because of everything that they lived through, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I've learned in my own career, and I've had my ups and downs and moments of being shouted at on the internet and all the rest of it, is that, like, time passes. Do you know what I mean? And, like, if you're still standing up at the end of it, you garner a certain degree of respect. And I just think that, like, there is there's a kind of aura, there's a mythology around against me. And again, maybe I'm kidding myself. Maybe there's loads of people out there who grow up just hating against me still because they signed to Fat Rack or whatever the fuck. Oh, 
But I think uh, if now, you're listening to this and you're one of those people, reach out to me and let's let's talk it through. Let's yeah, see. but I just think I, ultimately I think that people look back now. I think that again, maybe I'm just saying all this shit because I'm in my forties, but it's a bit kind of like you know, I'm not saying that it's not unimportant the kind of politics around the kind of corporate structure around record labels and all the rest of it. But ultimately, it, all of that's a fucking sideshow from the music, mm-hmm. you know. And now you can sit back and listen to 20 plus years of Against Me's catalog and go, what a fucking great band. They made a lot of great songs and they they moved forward. They said different things. They they explored new territory. You know, um, White Cross is a fucking sensational record. Um, uh, Transgender Dysphoria Blues was just completely like a new benchmark, uh, both for them and I think for the scene more broadly. You know, I, I, all of this is so much more important than arguments about like corporate structure and where they who's paying the A&R guy's salary and you know did so and so have points I mean who fucking cares man like when you're coming up and all that did you spend much time in Gainesville do you have any much exposure to the city of Gainesville and I'm trying to I'll, I'll just say this like I'm trying to force draw some line between uh Tom Petty and against me in some way that I don't oh yeah me. sure I, I I will back you on that quest I think that that's entirely appropriate uh I mean you could start with just the simple fact that you're talking about two great songwriters yeah um, and, and not every band is songwriter based in that way do you know what I mean yeah. like that's not true of every band but I think it is in the case of Laura Jane and Tom Petty, I mean, how much they have in common beyond being songwriters and geography, I will leave you to explore at your leisure. But um, I know Gainesville a little. I, I remember as a kid, uh, I used to get the No Idea Records um, mail order catalog mailed to me in England. And like, I mean, I don't want to blow my own trumpet too much, but I think there was probably a grand total of about eight people who did that in the 90s, you know. And, That's um, cool, yeah. Uh, and, you know, me and my friend, we used to kind of pool our resources and like mail order stuff like Small Van Brike, I Hate Myself, 12 Hour Turn, uh, Hot Water Music, that kind of thing. You know, back in the days when you had to read a paragraph to describe a record before you paid money for it because there was no other way of listening to it yeah, at the yeah. time. And uh, sometimes you'd get the coolest record you ever got in your life, and sometimes you'd end up with some fucking oof, yikes. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, and it, th- this, I mean, we live, it's, I was gonna say, we live in a try before you buy culture, you just don't buy these days, do you know what I mean? Right, That's not right. Um, which has plus and minuses. Um, but anyway, so I mean, Gainesville was certainly kind of like a, a slightly kind of like almost fantastical place in my mind. Do you know what I mean? It was this mystic land of Southern Florida and kind of punk rock. And I remember, I remember kind of against me feeling like the last great Gainesville band in a way uh, in the early 2000s. And then I also, I mean, I mean, I remember the first time I ever went to Gainesville. Um, uh, I was, I, I did the fest in, 2007, I think it was. Um, I did a bunch of touring with fake problems who obviously cool. are you talking to chris Farron for this uh i should i haven't reached out yet but um yeah you should drop him a line because he'll have a lot of interesting things to say about definitely saw fake problems with against me on a on a show or two back right yeah, i mean well the, i i very randomly got um asked to 
I, I got an email in about 2007 asking if uh, an American label based in Naples, Florida could release my first EP on vinyl in Florida kind of thing. I was like, fuck yeah, nobody else cared. So, <laughs> um, and then it turned out it was Good Friends Records, which was Casey Lee. And, and he hit me up and he said, do you want to do some touring to promote this record? I've just spent a bunch of money pressing. Um, <laughs> so I went and did a kind of like house tour of Florida with, with Fake Problems in 2007. And it was totally totally deranged uh, <laughs> in a wonderful way it's one of my kind of like pristine um punk rock touring memories um but you know my, one of the things for me about that was that they were they were kind of they were an against me adjacent band which made me excited when i first sort of encountered yeah. them you you mentioned those shows like i read i read your book and just i just love the thing where you have documented every show you've played there's a running list of every uh -huh. show you've played yeah. it must have been very handy when you went to write that book too oh yeah i mean 100 percent. and actually i mean the reason that i started doing the show counting thing is my the drummer in million dead started doing it and i thought he was out of his mind and then actually even before the band broke up i was really stoked he'd done it because you know it's difficult to remember every show on a tour and i'm not even i'm not saying remember the details i'm just remember where did you play on that tour and it's like uh uh hold on you know and to have it it's... written down was kind of cool um but it's also in the early days i taught it my own so like, i need i wanted to have some sort of record of what i've done because there's not even someone i can call up and just be like hey what did we do because there was no one else there yeah <laughs> i don't know life is all just a big scattered mess of things and it's nice to have things like that and i actually feel that way with yeah. like recorded music right like you're against me has this you have this i mean you you describe like the neil young thing or david bowie in his own way whatever you kind of seem to me like you're like, oh, I'm going to make this record that's going to be sort of this way this time. And I'm going to make one that's no. uh, tapping into like the hardcore music I played in the past. I'm making one that's explicitly contemplating the idea of positivity in a time that's kind of fucked up. And um, sure. or my heart, a, a record about a, a heartbreak or something. Can you talk about what you're what what you went in and did these last two weeks? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, well, I mean, the first thing you say is that like, you're right. And um, sometimes that kind of like. Um thematicism is like emergent rather than planned if you see right. what i mean like i mean it, it differs i mean no man's land i sat down to write a history record and i did um sometimes it's like and the way you judge this is kind of at what point the album title shows up more often than mm -hmm. not do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. So like england keep my bones i was the, the album title was the very last thing that showed up for that record and and it was there was a, there's a degree in terms of track listing and picking which songs go on the record there's a degree of kind of curation of an idea at that point but having said all that i mean the next the record that i've just finished is um very nearly finished it's kind of uh i'm just really I just think it's kind of hilariously unlikely that I'm 41 and making my 10th record, have just finished a marriage label deal, and I'm still fucking doing what I do. And there's a degree, there's a kind of insurrectionary kind of thumbing of the nose in my how I think about where I stand at this point in my life. And I feel like that's kind of come across in the music. It's kind of, uh, I have a new drummer in my band, and this is the first time he's recorded with us. And I, it's, to me, it sounds like a bunch of people having fun. It's kind of a punk record. It's kind of a record about being in in your early forties and still making punk records. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it. it'd be overly self referential, but growing old disgracefully is certainly a part of the part of the mix. I'm really stoked. That, like I say, it just listening back to the kind of rough mixes, it just feels like a bunch of people enjoying themselves, which is not true of all the records I've made. <laughs> I love that. I'm I'm 41 and through this deal, and now I'm going to write my first explicitly folk punk song. Yeah, do you know what I mean? There was something slightly like fuck everybody about that. Do you know what yeah, I mean? In yeah. a way that I quite like. And and 
yeah, you know, I, I'm really proud of FTHC, but looking back on that, my, my most recent album that's been out, it's like that feels kind of like a transitional record for me. That was that was a record where I was kind of allowing myself to just sort of go, hey, maybe I'm going to make punk rock music without any adjectives. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that would be okay. But that's also, there's a pretty fucking angry record. And um, there's some there's some uh, dirt under the fingernails, some rage underneath thing, but it's broadly speaking, it sounds like people enjoying themselves. <laughs> I've made a fun album. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the something I thought of earlier that just like I, I listened to this podcast about the you know the Lisa Loeb song "Stay." The, the yeah. And it was it was interesting. I found I found her to be she wasn't being interviewed. They were talking about it. It was like the sixty songs that explain the nineties uh, podcast, and it was about how she very very deliberately at the very beginning when people were calling her a folk musician, which sound especially before that song, she sounded like a folk musician, and she was like. Yeah. deliberate about pushing back and being called a singer songwriter in this weird, like advanced move of like the next album is not going to sound like the, and, and, and yeah, you know, sort yeah, of sure. regardless of success or whatever, it was this, I never even really thought about the differentiation of that. I just thought like, but oh, it, you totally. be a singer songwriter. And it's like, I'm going to do this on this record. I'm going to do this on this record. You're not just, yeah. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, so I find that very interesting, by the way. I didn't know that about Lisa Loeb. Um, and 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 it's smart because, like, I, there are days when I curse myself because of the only word that people get more annoying in their arguments about it than punk is probably folk. Yeah. Um, and it's like you end up with both of them hanging around your neck. And it's like, why have I done this to myself? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. And I always remember um, my friend Scott Hutchison, Frightened Rabbit, who's no longer with us, alas. But we he uh, yeah. was not from the punk world in any way. And he used to just kind of look askance at the arguments that I would either be part of or be a, be sort of intellectually involved in about everything that we're talking about with against me or whatever. And it was just completely foreign to him. He'd be right. like, why does anyone fucking care at all? <laughs> and nobody cared at all about Frightened Rabbit's label situation because everyone just went, well, they're a band and we like their music. And that's the end of that conversation. God. And it is... You know, for better and for worse, it is a peculiarity of certain scenes and not others to care about all this shit at all. That's kind of what I mean about the parochialism thing, about people losing their mind about against me signing to fat wreck of all labels. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's just a bit like, you know, there's like other bands, there's other music, there's other labels, there's other people who could who just it's so kind of um small-minded in many ways do you know what i mean and yeah. but, but then on the flip side of course i understand it's people being defensive of the thing that's really important to them that gives their life shape and meaning and i don't ever want to be disparaging of that because many times in my life punk rock has given me that safe space that meaning that defense whatever it might be so I'm, i don't want to be overly um dismissive about these things anyway but so so um you know in my early days i sort of i was using the word folk to describe what i do Slightly kind of ideologically, slightly kind of distancing myself from my old band. I had this kind of, I still have a theory that like folk music, that rock and roll is modern folk music, actually. If you look at what the sociology of folk music in the 19th and particularly 18th century, the only thing that comes close to that in the modern world is um, is rock and roll. Yeah. Or pop music more broadly, popular music. I mean, it's, you get in danger of defining yourself out of making a point somewhere in here, but like, you know, um, uh, the, the, you know, the folk music has been now is this kind of slight museum piece for some people. And I'm like, that's the whole fucking point is it wasn't that in the right. 18th century. Do you know what I mean? It was the pe the songs people sang in a field to me. What's a folk song? A folk song is a, bar, a song you can walk into a bar and sing the first line of and everybody else joins in. Oh, yeah. So 
Bohemian Rhapsody is a folk song, actually. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, um, anyway, so I was sort of having all these kind of arguments with people and pissing loads of people off in the trad folk scene by doing this. <laughs> <laughs> because, because you know, I had nothing else to do with my time. But the singer-songwriter thing, I mean, I, I it's always been a, 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 a two-word expression that slightly makes my skin crawl. I, just because it makes me think of fucking um, Jack Johnson, basically. And, like... I hope Jack Johnson lives a happy and fulfilled life, but I'm not a fan of his music. Um, and, uh, you know, there's something slightly kind of like mushy about the word singer songwriter to me. Yeah. Um, folk singer seems somehow a bit kind of like harder edged, I suppose. But maybe that's a generational thing because I suppose in the early 90s, for Lisa Lova, it was completely the other way around. I, I, she, I mean, she she's probably coming from the perspective of, I mean, I guess she's thinking about it to some degree, but the, the frightened rabbit side is just like, this is how I. This is how. This is what I oh, want yeah. to be, and I want. Well, this, I'm yeah, unburdened by whatever, whatever. This this is one of the nice things about releasing music under your own name is that you do slightly reach a point where it's like, what are you going to fucking do about it, man? It's on my passport. Like you know, <laughs> uh, oh no, he released a thrash album. Well, it's still my name. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, a drum and bass remix album. It's glare. It's like glaringly obvious now as we talk, but like with the folk thing, like against me adding drums on reinventing Axl Rose and, and a bassist and then signing fat record and signing to a major label. Let's that's our, that's a early two thousands um, folk punk kids. I mean, that's Bob Dylan did was called was folk music. That was folk music. And oh, then yeah. he did his thing. Like why oh, yeah, yeah. there's no reason that it should be like ubiquitous knowledge to people who barely even know about music that like Bob Dylan going electric was a controversy. That like sentence yeah, is, yeah. is like a well-known understood thing, whether you know that it's, it's probably, and it's probably like erroneously passed through history with all kinds of inaccuracies yeah, yeah. and stuff. But, but then the, the, fun, the funny thing about it though, is that actually that to me in retrospect, as a grown up, that's almost, the moment when bob dylan starts to get really interesting to it's me. the I best think it's, it's the best yeah, the- that's that's what i mean i mean i i think that about about I, I talked on another podcast recently about like oh i liked some like folky bluegrass band and they went and i felt that way about them but it's like would i would i want to hear would i want to hear a songwriter i like just make their little folky bluegrass things forever i wouldn't have wanted that i would have peeled off anyway from that i don't yeah, i don't know totally. you don't you don't know yeah that basically highway 61 revisited is challenging you in a way that then it's going to give you more even if at first you're like what the fuck dude this isn't what we do yeah completely well i mean i guess there's there's somewhere in here there's a divide uh which which i think it's important to present in a non-value judgment kind of way between people who want to be challenged by their art and people who don't there's actually nothing wrong with not wanting to be challenged by the art that you like uh partly because all art is subjective and anyone telling somebody else what they should or shouldn't be into is fundamentally ridiculous um but also you know it's people take different things from art and that's fine you don't get to tell anybody else what they are or are not allowed to like and and that statement in and of itself has quite a lot to do with the whole against me argument. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, no, stop, you know, stop doing music wrong. And it's like, you can't say that to an artist no, or yeah. at least not when they maintain it's the great debate. It's like, which is more integral to do what the fans quote unquote want or to do what you want to do. And I think there's one answer to that question personally. Um, you know, and if, if what against me were pursuing was their own artistic, uh, direction then they should have told everyone to go fuck themselves and do whatever they want and that's what i think that they did last night
obviously i think some people you know the counter argument is they pursued all those things because they were interested in commercial success or whatever but then but then here's the thing like the 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 very idea which is at the heart of punk rock which i accepted like mother's milk and until my kind of mid-30s is the idea that there's some necessary disconnect between commercial success and artistic worth doesn't hold any water actually do you know what i mean if something's really good it might be because it says something profound if it says something profound then lots of people might be interested in that profundity do you know what i mean uh and 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 I think one of the things I'm slightly rambling here, but one of the things I find really funny is that sort of the secret kind of ghostly guiding figure of the kind of 2000s folk punk thing has actually sort of been Bruce Springsteen, who is a man who is insanely successful yeah. and has always been on a major label. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> therefore, yeah, yeah. therefore, like, what the fuck, man? But like, you know, it's... Uh, if something chasing commercial success or chasing a larger audience is not shouldn't be an inherently um, morally disreputable thing to do because art is a form of communication ultimately um, and it may be that what you're trying to communicate has a very very niche appeal and a, and a, and a parochial and conservative appeal and it may be that it doesn't and both of those things are okay lost the confidence to write a song so I found three simple chords and held them together with my weak voice On an out-of-tune guitar my father gave to me So I, I, I said this in the email that I sent to you, but I want to say it just because like I'm, I'm like talking to you right now and I, I appreciate this opportunity, but I had I like I'm not like a so I was at a show, I think it was maybe like Murder by Death, maybe Gaslight Anthem. I don't remember who this this was, but you were opening this show acoustic in yeah. San Francisco. And I went to this I, show I and my remember it distinctly. It was me, the loved ones, murder by death, gaslight anthem. For sure. Yep. That's it. And so yeah. so I'm there. And at this time you were, I don't think, I don't think the record with Dan's song was out yet, but but you were playing it. So I didn't even know the song yet. But I'm there. None of my friends showed up. I lived in San Francisco. I went to this. None of my friends were there. And I'm there, I have a backpack on and I'm drinking a Guinness and you ask if anyone wants to play a harmonica as you did at that time. Right. And I don't, I don't know how to, how to put this. Cause this is going to have like a little end part after this, but like, <laughs> you know, like, like energy in a moment in a room, I'm like, this motherfucker is going to point at to me right now. I can tell. And I just like raised my hand, got pointed at, went up and did it. So fun, <laughs> got key harmonicas in the right key, whatever you do it, you just, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. So like, <laughs> Six months later, you come back with a full band and do that thing again. And I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm like, why Why can I just feel in the moment like I'm going to get pointed at again for this? And I raised Wait, my... Hold on. Did you, did you get up again and do it for the second time? So I got pointed. You pointed at me again. And I was like, I'm not I'm like energy juju or whatever. I'm not like wired that way necessarily. But I was just sort of yeah, like... Yeah. And so I got called up and then I, I went up there and then... I was like, can I say something in the microphone real quick? And I, I could tell you were like, all right, bro. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Like, go for it. And then, yeah, I, yeah. so then my friend came up and did it instead. Cause I'd already Dude, done it. I remember and, that. I absolutely yeah. remember that. I remember cause you were the first, it was the first time ever that somebody had got called up twice as it were. And it, and it, and it was, which has been a thing that I'd been sort of scared that was going to happen <laughs> at some point. <laughs> the thing, the, yeah, the thing about it to me was the weird feeling of like, you know, if you like enter, I enter a raffle, or whatever, you're like, yeah, whatever, that's gone. I, I don't, yeah, yeah, sure. It was just some weird feeling of like, 
I'm going to get called on for this. I already know it. I know it for a fact. Whatever. <laughs> well, um, it's nice. It's uh, it's nice to reconnect. I'm going to close out. Yeah, <laughs> close out loop because we we just to say we've jammed together together. Really okay. <laughs> and it was great. You over the years have toured with Against Me some, right? Or played shows at yeah. least? Yeah. yeah. No, we've we've toured together. Um, I I invited them out on tour in uh 2011. On a UK tour, they opened for me. Uh, I mean, they were were the special guests, you know what I mean? Um, And I was super stoked about it. It was one of those, it was an interesting moment, though, because it was sort of like my kind of mainstream star, if you, for want of Mm -hmm. a less loaded descriptor, was kind of rising in the UK at that time. And um, I remember they basically scared the piss out of my audience um, (laughs) in a way that I thought was amazing. But like, my booking agent was a bit like, ah, because like <laughs> I remember that they they kind of they had a forty five minute set and they didn't they didn't they walked on and were like good evening played like eighteen songs or something stupid and then went thanks very much and walked off again and they didn't talk yes. they didn't stop and it was just totally punk as fuck and you know I grew up watching videos of Who's Kadoo do that and kind of shit and I thought yeah. it was cool as fuck but I remember. Like quite a lot of the guys in my band, but most of the guys in my band aren't don't have any sort of background in punk rock, and they were kind of like they didn't really know who against me were, and they were they were like, what the fuck is this, these guys doing? They don't say hi, <laughs> they don't talk to anyone, and I'm like, isn't it amazing? Um, uh, but um, I mean, and I just mean on stage, they were perfectly sociable backstage. That I think was the last tour before Laura came out. Actually, funnily enough, okay. was that with us i do remember she was growing her hair out on the tour um but uh, you know we made friends and like um jay weinberg was in the band at that point as well um who i saw just the other day uh when we played a show with bruce springsteen lots of connections but yeah we I, we toured with them then and then against me played at um lost evenings three in boston in 2019 uh which was uh awesome really stoked to have them. so yeah we've shared the stage a bunch over the years and then laura and i have done a bunch of shows together too so come on, old friends, to the streets. Let's be 1905, but not 1917. Let's be heroes, let's be martyrs, let's be radical thinkers who never have to test drive the least of their dreams. Let's divide up the world into the damned and the saved, and then ride to the valley like the old life brigade and straighten our backs, and we won't be afraid, and they'll celebrate our death. Hello. Hi, how are you? There you go. Oh, wait. Yeah, you got to get in. Okay. Hello. Hi. It's so nice to see you again. It's nice to see you. How are you? Where are you guys in Northern California? No, we are in in Washington, Northern Washington on some islands up there. Oh, fucking A. Nice. Uh, Yeah. It's it's amazing. So if you ever want to come up, you have a place to stay. That's very kind of you to (laughs) say. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh yeah, beans and toast stayed with us. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, in in well, when we were living in in California, but yes. Well, Jay has slept on my floor uh, and indeed <laughs> spare room and sofa and all the rest of it more times than I care to remember. But that's very cool. That's very cool. Uh, hopefully, I'll be able to be up around your guys' way again before too long. Yay! All right. Cool. We'll take care. Cool. Nice to meet you. Hey, for real, this was a pleasure. Have a good, good uh, next interview. Thanks for talking against me. And hey, thanks, man. General. Yeah, all the best, man. Take care. Appreciate it, Frank. Take care. Thanks, man. Bye.
So I had this experience when I made the second season of this show, which was about Bright Eyes, where Tim Kasher of Cursive agreed to be on the first episode. And I was just elated. It's just like a cool, kind, nice thing to do that he just didn't have to do. And I feel kind of that way about this Frank Turner one. He said, yes, I'll come on and talk about Against Me. No need to do that. He did that on a two-week break to record a record. I'm deeply thankful for it. Go find him online. Go catch a show on the never-ending tour of everywhere. And uh, yeah, you can find me on social media at Routine Layup. And there's also a Patreon for this show. There's currently video clips from that Frank Turner interview that are on there right now. In future episodes, I'll put the bulk of the interview here on this channel, but there will be some special extra pieces on the Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash after the deluge. You can go there not only for those extra little things, but just if you want to support the creation of this show, which I try to put a ton of love and care and work into. It's just one $5 tier, and by subscribing, you also get a zine. Kind of a print companion to this series, a little thing you can hold in your hands after it's all done. Get mailed to your house at the end of the season. Again, that's patreon.com slash after the deluge. Uh, tell a friend about this show if they like against me. I'm Justin Cox, and next up, we got Reinventing Axl Rose, baby. So make sure you're subscribed. Stick around. <laughs>